Well, Shabbat Shalom to everyone. Shabbat Shalom. And uh, this week's Torah portion is called Shoftim, which means judges. And in Hebrew, actually, the book of Judges is actually called Shoftim in the Hebrew. But this Torah portion is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting with verse 18, going all the way to chapter 21, verse 19. But um, our focus text today is going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 17. So you can kind of find chapter 17 and kind of put your finger there. Uh, mainly this Torah portion is kind of instruction to the judges that are going to be judging Israel when they enter into the promised land and settle into their uh, inheritance. And when issues and problems arise within the nation, these judges are to be impartial and judge fairly and judge according to God's word, the Torah. And it's, it's, most of it is instruction to these judges. There's also some interesting things in there about instruction on how to engage in warfare. You know, there's rules of engagement. I mean, even in this secular world, we have uh, like a like a tribunal, a world tribunal, where there's um, war crimes. People get treated for war crimes when they break the rules of warfare, where they uh, don't treat prisoners of war correctly, or you know they they engage in genocide or something of this nature. You have like this world court that uh, um, convicts on war crimes, and so God says if you're going to engage uh, in war in another nation, there's kind of some rules that are involved in that. And so this is a very interesting tour portion. Now, if I could title this message, it would be that we are all called to be armchair researchers. We are all called to be armchair researchers. A lot of times people poo-poo on the idea of armchair researchers because, oh, you've got to have a doctorate. You know, you've got to go to school and who do you think you are, you know, investigating and not having the credentials, blah, 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 blah. But we live in such a very uh, interesting time where we have information at our fingertips we've never had before through the internet so we uh and, and it says in prophecy i think it's in daniel that knowledge will increase in the last days and indeed it has so before we go any further i'm gonna recite the traditional blessing over the reading of god's torah baruch adonai hamvarak blessed is adonai the blessed one Baruch Adonai Hamvarak Leolam Vayed. Blessed is Adonai, the Blessed One, for all eternity. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melecha Olam Asher Bakarbanu Mechoha Amim. Venetin Lanu et Torato. Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. And as it says in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name, Bashem Yeshua Moshenu. Amen. It's very interesting. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. The Torah is the foundation for the rest of the Word of God, and it was actually a commandment given to the kings of Israel that once they step into that office of kingship, they were required to make their own copy of the five books of Moses for the specific purpose of knowing how to rule and, and, and uh, judge and lead a nation rightly, because everything God wants us to know uh, as far as running a, a nation and a society and a culture is found in the five books of Moses. And uh, is he's to carry it with them. A secondary reason that the king was to uh, write his own Torah, besides that there was no, uh, you know, Xerox copy machines or publishers or Gutenberg presses back then, is it says that when the king studied the word of God daily, it kept him humble. 
Even though he was leading the people and he was a king to the people, he wasn't better than anybody else. And he was uh, held to the same rules and standard that the rest of the people of the nation were held to. And I think that's really great. A little off topic, but that's okay. You know, we humans can be gullible and all too trusting. Uh, many take the words of politicians, news outlets, or an authority like a doctor or professor as gospel truth. Oh, well, they're educated. They must know what they're talking about. When indeed, we should investigate their words. We should investigate. Because you know what? You can come to the wrong conclusions when you don't investigate something thoroughly. When you just go on what your eyes see or what your feelings are or what your personal opinion or worldview is. And you don't have all the facts before you. And sometimes we think we judge things because we have the facts when in, in fact, the facts that we think are facts are just circumstantial evidence. I mean, I could sit here and say, did you guys know that you can make glass out of cotton candy? Yeah, you can make glass out of cotton candy because when you eat cotton candy, it's got that gritty feeling. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's it actually cotton candy is made from white sand. And we know that sand is used in the making of glass. Therefore, you can make glass out of cotton candy. That's ridiculous. What was I basing that on? Only the circumstantial evidence that sugar resembles white sand. That's the only thing I was going on, but I drew the wrong conclusion. You know, and if people didn't know any better and didn't investigate, there's some gullible people out there that would believe that. Now, I remember in Bible college, there was this girl who was extremely gullible, and we loved playing on that gullibility. And the Canadian students who came down to Nashville to Bible college, they would tell this girl, Oh yeah, we all live in igloos up there, and we 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 ride sleds to, to you know to, to school and everything. <gasps> really? Yeah, and she believed it. Like you know, she didn't investigate, and we played upon her gullibility, and we told her wild and crazy things that she believed. Anyway, so we need to be armchair researchers. We have all the tools that we need. We have the Word of God. You may not have a biblical degree or you know, PhD or letters before or behind your name. But yet you have the word of God, and if you're saved, you've asked the Lord Yeshua to come into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, and the scripture says that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. So we have what we need. We have more than we need. I mean, we've, we're blessed with things such as the concordance. I mean, I, I got a concordance for my graduation gift when I graduated high school in 1991, and I've worn that thing out. Looking up scripture, searching up scripture, looking up the Hebrew, looking up the Greek meaning of this, that, and the other. Love it. You know, if you have a, a resource and a tool like that, you may not even have one, but if you have internet, there's an online concordance. So there's a lot of Bible tools and things uh, that you could utilize and use and are not hard to use that could really get you more in-depth into the Word of God. Now, Lee Strobel began to question the narrative of Jesus Christ given by the secular experts, air quotes, and began to investigate the matter of the authority of Scripture and the resurrection. Lee Strobel was a journalist. Therefore, he was just like Joe Friday on Dragnet. The facts, ma'am, just the facts, right? He was all about the facts. And so he was trying to, you know, to disprove the, uh, the, the um, supernatural origins and nature and the infallibility of the scriptures and try to debunk the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, not only was Lee Strobel uh, a, a decorated journalist, an investigative journalist, he was also a Jew, but an atheistic Jew. 
He was raised Jewish, but he didn't even believe in God. But when he started to investigate and honestly investigate on his own, he ended up becoming a believer in the inspiration of Scripture. He ended up becoming a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and became a born-again believer. Now, his book, he wrote a book about it called A Case for Christ. And it's one of the best apologetic books that are on a layman level that you could give to somebody when they're questioning these things. Uh, just recently, within the last few years, his book has been made into a movie, and we actually seen it here at Harvest House, oh, about a year or a couple years ago. Uh, so, um, one can't one can't trust fully anyone, right? I mean, you can't even you can't trust me fully. I I can't trust my wife fully. I can't trust anybody fully. Why not? We all make mistakes. We're all fallen human beings. We don't know it all. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything. You know, so not a single individual can be fully trusted. Not even the Apostle Paul could be fully trusted. And he didn't have a problem with that. And we're going to get into that because he praised the Bereans for double-checking what he was teaching and preaching. But we can't fully uh, trust anyone because we are sinful, fallible human beings and we often come with our own preconceived ideas and our own agendas, whether we like our own biases, if you will, whether we like it or not. Politicians have their party and their personal agenda and their mind when they speak. And we all know that. News outlets spin the news that fits the worldview of the owner of that news agency. You want to find out why news is being reported the way it is? Find out who owns that news outlet and figure out what they believe and you'll understand why the news is reported in the way that it is. Professors and doctors who want to please and remain in good standing with, with their peers, they just go along with the popular narrative. You'll, for instance, you'll have scientists that will you know, be questioning the whole evolutionary Big Bang theory, right? And again, it's called a theory, but yet they're preaching this Big Bang evolutionary a theory as fact and nobody's questioning it but once scientists start questioning the theory of evolution the big bang theory then they start getting ridiculed by their peers because they're not going along with a scientific accepted narrative but yet you have a whole uh, 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 um, group and vein of study called creation research and you've got some men with with some heavy-duty education to back them up that is uh, promoting creationism and showing creationism from a scientific standpoint but we see that when you go outside of the narrative of the popular uh, worldview then you start getting called uh, idiots and, and uh, intolerant and uneducated and you know all these derogatory terms are thrown on you because you're not going along with the crowd. And that's, you know, in a way I take that as a compliment because I'm not checking my brain at the door. My God has instructed me through his word to think critically. And that's the problem that we have in this society today is nobody thinks critically. Something said on the news, you're to ex you are not to question it. You are to accept it because those are the leaders those are the people that are making the rules so we ought to trust them because we elected them and all no i bow my knee to no one but jesus christ i bow my knee to no one but the god of israel and i will question everything because it's healthy to question everything and when you question everything and you look at it from a a biblical worldview uh, that's when you're going to, uh, uh, you know, see things the way God sees them.
So how many times that we watch a YouTube video or a TikTok video or read a meme on Facebook and because it sides with our worldview, our knee-jerk reaction is to accept it without question and, you know, not to – and, and um, you know, to perpetuate it, right? We, we say, oh, I'm going to share that, but we didn't look into it. I've done that before, and I've gotten an egg in my face because I put something out there that I thought was true because it sided with my opinions and my worldview, and I didn't bother to research that meme or that video and come to find out later that it was totally wrong. That's embarrassing. But it's up to us just because something sounds good to us and something sides with the way we view the world and the way we see things doesn't mean we should always accept it. We need to look into it and research it, even if it supposedly comes from a reliable source. Often religious leaders deny questions, uh, you know, deeming the one that asked the question, oh, the reason that you're asking that question is because you don't have faith. No, you're not ask, answering the question because you don't know the answer. Because you're not even confident about the answer. But I've come to the point, if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know. And there's no shame in that. Just because I'm a teacher of the Word of God doesn't mean that I know everything. I'm still learning, and I'm still learning every single day. But often religious leaders deny questions, deeming that the one who posed the question is having irreverence or has a lack of faith. And this is to hide the minister's own questions and own insecurities themselves. It's a very liberating thing to admit that you don't know. It's a very liberating thing to admit if you have to, hey, I was wrong. One of the best books I ever read, whether you love the man or hate the man, was the book by Jim Baker called I Was Wrong. It's a big, thick book, and it was right after the big PTL scandal and embezzlement and everything, and he went to prison and all this kind of stuff. And he wrote a book, I Was Wrong, and it's a very humbling account of how he recounts how he was wrong on so many different levels. And that was very humbling, and that, and that took a lot of guts to write a book like that. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, welcomed and wasn't afraid of being questioned in matters of faith. Acts 17.11 says, Now these Bereans were more noble-minded. When you can think for yourself, and you can be a free, critical thinker, you're noble. You're being noble-minded. Now, these Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the message with goodwill. They gave Paul the benefit of the doubt when he was speaking, but it says, searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. They accepted Paul with goodwill. They didn't criticize him or ridicule him right off the bat, even though they were sitting there with a lot of questions. They let him have his say, and then they're like, okay, just hang on, Paul. We'll get back with you tomorrow. We're going to check out what you just said. And it says they searched the scriptures daily. It was a daily habitual practice that these Bereans had their noses in the word of God. And they were, they were cross-referencing and checking out everything that Paul claimed and said. And Paul welcomed that. Any religious leader, any minister that says you have a lack of faith or you're being irreverent because you asked that question or dodges questions, be very leery of them. Deuteronomy 17.4 <clears throat> says, It is told to you, and you have heard about it, and you investigate thoroughly. 
put in all bold caps, underline, highlight, investigate thoroughly. Now, sometimes this is rendered inquire diligently. Now, this word investigate in the Hebrew is darash, which means to seek out with care. In our modern vernacular, we would say, go over it with a fine-tooth comb. Split hairs. Check out every lead. So that's what the word investigate. Thoroughly is yatab, which means full well. So we can say, it is told to you, and you have heard about it, and you seek out with care full well. I think that's very important. It means that we have to be 100% certain with no doubts, having full understanding and complete knowledge in order to render an appropriate decision. Now, I've been asked a lot of questions on very obscure doctrinal issues. And to be honest with you, there's some things that I'm still searching and seeking out for myself because I don't have all the answers. And so if I don't, I'll say, look, I don't know. I'm still investigating that. Look, I don't know. I'm still studying that. There's some things about the eschatology, about end times, because people have the most questions about the end times. More times than not, I will tell you, I don't know. This is the way I see it at this point. This is the way that I look at it right now with the knowledge that I have, but I have not investigated fully. The jury's still out on this issue for me because I don't know. So what is our litmus test? What is our filter when we investigate something, especially something of a spiritual or biblical or doctrinal nature? What is our, what is our filter? What is our litmus test? That would be the first five books of Moses, the Torah, God's word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit more of Deuteronomy chapter 17. You guys are already there. I still haven't turned there because I've been yakking. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 17, beginning with verse 18. Now when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of this Torah on a scroll. From what is before... Uh, 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 from what is before the Levitical Kohanim, the Levitical priests. So basically, the priests are looking over the king's shoulder as he meticulously and carefully copies every single letter of the five books of Moses to make sure that he's not cheating, flubbing, scrubbing, editing himself, putting his own interpretations in it. Because one of the things that convinced Lee Strobel about the authority of the Word of God is because of the meticulous nature and how it was copied. You can depend on the copies of the Torah because basically they had an entire ritual built around copying the Word of God. It had to be painstakingly letter for letter. And when they come upon God's holy name, yud heh vav -Heh, they would do a ritual washing, a ritual changing of clothes, and they would get a new pen and write the name. And if they had gone to the very end of Deuteronomy, to the very last word, to the very last letter, and they messed up or screwed up on that last letter, guess what happened to that Torah scroll? It was ditched. The entire thing was ditched. Years of work down the drain because of one little mistake, because they wanted to ensure that the copy was perfect. So it says, now when he sits, the king, when he sits on his throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of this Torah on a scroll. From what is before the Levitical Kohanim, he it will remain with him. In other words, it will be his personal Bible, his personal copy. 
and he will read it all the days of his life. Now, there's a rabbinic tradition. It's not said here in Scripture, but the rabbis and sages say that the king actually wrote two copies. One he kept with him all the time. The second one was put in a depository, a repository. Yeah, <laughs> those words can be confusing. In other words, it was locked up so that if he lost that Torah scroll or that Torah scroll got messed up, or there was a question about what was in the one he copied, they can go back and check out that second copy. There was always a backup. Of course, again, that's tradition. But it says that um, it will remain with him, and he will read it, uh, read in it all the days of his life in order to learn, number one, to fear Adonai, to have that reverential respect and fear for God, and to keep all the words of the Torah and these statutes. He will read it every day so that he'll learn how to fear God and he'll learn how to keep God's commandments. Then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers. So three, it's, it's there to keep him humble. And he will uh, not turn from the commandment to the right or to the left. He'll do exactly what's written in the black and white. He'll not come up with his own interpretation. He'll not veer off and make excuses to break the law. Solomon did that. Because in this very same Torah portion, it talks about kings not multiplying horses, not going back to Egypt to multiply horses. Now, we're not talking about, you know, getting Maseratis or Lamborghinis. These horses were war horses. This was building up the military to an absurd degree. And going back to Egypt, which was full of paganism, and it was the place that God delivered Israel from. And when the Israelites left Egypt, he said, you shall never return here again. So... Solomon broke that commandment. There was another commandment that he shouldn't accumulate, personally accumulate gold and silver. He could accumulate it for the temple, for the kingdom, but not personally. Yet he did this. Said that he's not to marry multiple wives, but he had more wives than any other king, than all the kings of Israel and Judah combined. And these weren't just because he was very lustful. But because these were political alliances, because the more women he married from other nations, the more peace he had around him because, hey, a king's not going to attack where his daughter lives. So it was more for political marriage than anything else. But it was these very pagan women that drew Solomon's heart away from God. Verse 20, then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers, and he will not turn from the commandments to the right or to the left, so that he may prolong his days in his kingship. And his, and his sons in the midst of Israel. Whether it's evolution, whether it's revisionist history, whether it's abortion, where it's the critical race theory, the BLM movement, Antifa, whether it's the LBGTQAI plus agenda, whether it's the cancel culture, whether it's a dispute that rises in the community, church, and or synagogue or home, our answers and just decisions can all be found in this book. See, the society is trying to teach us to think one way, to believe one way. But I don't know about you, you may not be a Bible scholar, but I guarantee you that some of the stuff you're hearing and seeing on the news, you're like, ah, oh, they're telling me to believe this way and think this way, but I don't know why, but it's just not sitting well in my spirit. That's the Holy Spirit telling you something's wrong. Investigate thoroughly. Seek out with care full well. Inquire diligently. The Lord's telling you, 
find the answer in the word. Don't be spoon-fed and take what they're saying on TV as gospel truth. Because so, it, it seems righteous. It seems good. But there's just something a little twisted that you can't put your finger on or explain. And it talks about, and I can't remember the, the passage right off the bat, but talking about how in the last days that people um, will have a form of godliness, social, social justice, anybody? They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, deny God, deny his justice. What the world calls social justice is not what the Bible or God deems as social justice. We're all for social justice, but from a biblical standpoint, they're not, they're not talking about, about equity in the world. What they're proposing seems right, but it's so unfair and so uneven. It's not even funny. So we're all about truth. And what is truth based on? Is it based on your feelings? Is it based on your personal opinion? It's based on facts. Truth is based on the truth. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Yeshua, the Son of God. He is the living manifestation of the written Word of God. Even Pilate asked Jesus, as Jesus stood before him condemned, what is truth? And truth was standing right in front of him. Yeshua, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the living Word. He's the living manifestation of this written Word. This written Word is truth. That's This is our filter. When we watch the news, when we hear of a new fad or a new philosophy, a new belief, a new movement, we're to filter it. What does God's word say about it? Then we're going to find our answer. And there's no excuse because none of us sitting here that I know of are illiterate. Most of us have access some way, somehow to the Internet. You know, and, and we could get books and tools and resources to aid us and help us in our Bible study. And we should be in this word every day. People are so afraid to study the word of God by themselves because they think, I'm just not smart enough. I haven't studied it like, like you know, Pastor Chris has or like Aaron has or so-and-so has. It doesn't matter. I'm st I've been studying this for years, and I'm still learning new stuff from it. I'm never going to get to the end of this book to where I say, yep, I know it all. Never going to know it all. And the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you get familiar with it, the more the things that you read and study are going to immediately pop in your mind when you see something on TV or hear something on the radio that doesn't sit right with you, and a scripture will pop in your head, and the Lord will give you the answer, something's wrong with this, and here's where it's found. The Word of God. He, he, told, in, he told the Israelites in the five books of Moses, he said, pay attention to this Word, because this Word is your life. Your life is not about your hobby, your likes, your dislikes, your career, your job. That doesn't define you. The Word of God is your life. The Word of God defines you. I mean, God literally breathed into Adam, his no and into the nostrils, the breath of life, and mankind, man, became a living soul. And the breath, you know, it, it, God's Word was breathed into us, and it gave us life physically. And then we, when, we, when we were born and we come to that point, you know what? If I died right now, I'd split hell wide open. Then all of a sudden we say, Lord, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross to take my place to save me from my sins. At that point, 
God breathed the breath of life into you again through the Holy Spirit and you became saved. You became what we call born again. It all boils down to the word and the word being our life. And if you say the word of God is boring, there's something wrong with you spiritually because this is life. I don't understand it. Find a translation that you do understand that resonates with you and investigate thoroughly, inquire diligently, seek out with careful well. The word of God is our spiritual food. It's how we grow spiritually. And I often wonder how we would react if the Lord would reveal how we looked in a spiritual mirror. Would we be scared at what we see? Because in James, this just popped in my head. Maybe I can find this really quick. But James talks about a mirror. Maybe I just mentioned it and it's just too much off the cuff, but I can give you the gist of it. James talks about the Word of God being a mirror and how if we look diligently in that mirror of the Word of God, we will obtain liberty and freedom. Like, let's say I stay up late at night and I was at a party, big lavish party, and they had one of those five-course meals or whatever, and I just stagger home and I'm just so tired I just crash on the bed and I'm still fully clothed. Now, am I going to get up in the morning and just go, well, all right, well, I'm awake, I'm going to go about my day. No, I'm going to undress. I'm going to go into the bathroom, and one of the first things I'm going to do is look in the mirror. Because the mirror is going to reveal what's wrong with me. I don't look socially acceptable or presentable. I'm having a bad beard day. I can't say bad hair day because I don't have any hair. I'm having a bad beard day. I've got dark circles under my eyes. My eyes are bloodshot. Oh, gross. I got this nasty film on my teeth. And Oh, is that broccoli still stuck in my teeth from last night? The mirror is going to tell me what I need to do to correct myself. I've got to wash and condition and put oil in my beard. I've got to brush my teeth and floss my teeth. I've got to wash my face, right? Then I can be presentable. Spiritually speaking, the Word of God does the same thing. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable reading the Word of God because we don't like what the Word is showing us. We don't like what the Word is saying about us. But the Word of God is not there to stomp on our toes and say, hey, it's to lovingly say, hey, you've got these issues and flaws you need to correct, and this is how you can correct it. So the Word of God is like a mirror. It reveals our spiritual selves. And when we accept that, because it says in James that some people look and they don't like what they see. It's implied that they don't like what they see, and they turn away and forget what they saw. It's the whole ostrich syndrome, the head buried in the sand, right? But it says if you look into the word of truth it will bring about freedom it will bring about liberty and that's what we need to do and when we're daily in the word of god not only are we eating our daily spiritual meal but we're having our daily spiritual mirror check we're looking at ourselves in the mirror spiritually speaking and so not only for ourselves personally but how we engage in the world, the Bible is our final authority and foundation because it has everything we need to know about the latest trends and about the latest things that are coming up in our culture, the latest buzzwords, the latest things that's being talked about on the news and, and popular shows and what have you. So hopefully I've been able to really stress the importance of engaging in the Word of God some way, somehow on a daily basis, how important that is. All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is supernatural. 
your word is life-giving. And we believe and we accept that. And Lord, sometimes we don't have the spiritual hunger that we should regarding the word of God because we've ruined our appetite on the things of this world. Just as if I just got in the habit of eating little Debbie cakes and Ben and Jerry's ice cream and, you know, Snickers bars, and somebody gives me an apple, it's going to taste pretty disgusting. Somebody gives me a salad, why are you giving me rabbit food? This is gross. Because my taste buds are not accustomed to what is natural, what is good. It's been reprogrammed to accept and love what is sweet. But if I change my dietary habits and I start eating healthy, and then I go back to the little Debbies, they're going to seem so sicky sweet. They're not even going to taste good. It's like, I don't remember them being this sugary, this sweet, because your taste buds were desensitized because you ate it all the time. The same thing spiritually. If we're continually giving ourselves over to the entertainment and to the things of this world, we're going to have an appetite for what the world has and what the world wants, and we're not going to be hungry, and the Word of God is not even going to be appealing or appetizing to us. So, Lord, help cleanse our spiritual taste buds and help us to find what the world has to offer sicky sweet and disgusting and give us a hunger and a thirst for your word because your word is milk and meat and your word is living waters and help us to just hunger and a thirst for that like never before because in this day and age we need to be so connected to the word of god more than any other time in living memory or history we thank you for your word we thank you that we have most of us have two or three copies in our home. We can download it on our phone. I mean, it's so easy where we're living at to have access to the Word of God. So there's no excuse. Just like there's a Starbucks on every corner of a big city, there's a Bible everywhere you turn, you know, to the computer, to your phone, to the Kindle, to the, you know, to the bookshelf. It's there. Help us to utilize it. And if we don't have time for the Word of God, then we are way too busy and we need to cut something out. Lord, help us to make time for you and to make time for your word. It may start out a little five minutes, but Lord, hopefully we can build up and eat a full meal within our day of spiritual food. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. And Yavarekaka Adonai Vishmareka. Yaer Adonai Panavaleka Vehuneka. Yasa Adonai Panavaleka Veyasem Laka Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Yeshua's name. Amen.